0: Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett.
1: And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry.
0: We've both worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything.
1: And as damaged as we are, we, we are ready to dive into bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has.
0: Okay, Woo! Taylor, don't edit anything right now. But I got I got given a hard time because my chair is old and rickety. Can you hear this?
1: Oh, yeah, I can hear it, and I'm sure every one of our listeners can hear it. Is he really not supposed to edit all of that?
0: Well, just so the listeners can hear, like, I want to apologize for the chair. It's not Taylor or his editing abilities. It is this old chair that I'm using.
1: So the listeners need to donate a chair to you.
0: No, I think I'm going to try kneeling during this episode. His address is... (laughs) 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 Okay, so the the name of this episode uh, is called Your Job is Easier. Okay. And so I, I wanted to touch base just to check in on each other. What are one or two things that make your job easier? Go. Okay.
1: I thought you were going to say, <laughs> like, your job is easier than, and then, like, fill in the blank. Like, who, who whose job is my job easier than? Um, my job is easier because of some of the tools I use. I mean, just, like, I would say some of the, I don't know, project management stuff. But, so, yeah, that's my, my job is easier because of some of the tools I use.
0: So, technology, give one example. Sure.
1: One example let's use uh, Basecamp um, for managing my team. To be able to communicate with them, have uh, like different projects and to do lists in there. That is one way that technology is made my job easier.
0: Excellent. Is that what you're looking for? Sure. Yeah. Technology can leverage and make your job easier. Um, my job is easier. You know, I just transferred for listeners. I just transferred from a parish I was at for nine years over to uh, to join the Ablaze, amazing Ablaze team. And at the parish, my job was easier because of the power of delegation. Delegation is harder in the front end, but uh, once it gets rolling in pieces like that, man, we had some amazing volunteers that really embraced their piece of the ministry in dynamic ways. And they did things better than I could, especially while I was spinning all those other plates. The challenge is here at Ablaze, I haven't found that uh, rhythm of delegation just yet. And I'll get there. Mm. Um, but uh, my job was definitely easier when I was delegating um, a lot of the ministry. And it multiplied the ministry I was able to do through the power of delegation and things of that nature. Another reason why in, here at Ablaze that my job is easier is I really feel like I have a full system of support. So if I make a direct ask to uh, one of our missionaries, one of our amazing missionaries, um, typically they'll respond with a yes or... Or a no, but no, but ask this person, they'd be good at it. And that's really cool to be a part of a team. So, my job is easier because of a team.
1: That's that's actually what I was going to say. My job is easier because I have a team that I can actually depend on um, to get stuff done. Like, no, like I can't tell you how many times that as a youth minister, when I would ask a volunteer to do something and they, they weren't the right person for the job or they weren't bought in or whatever, um, or even at a blaze, like, and like there's been times when I've asked someone to do something and then we get to like the day before the event, you know, or whatever, and it's not done. And it's like, well, great. Now I've got to scramble to get it done. It's not going to be done as well, but no, my job is easier because the the, the team that that I have around me um, are actually getting their stuff done.
0: Good. Good. So this next piece, there's going to be kind of three sections. That was the first section. You guys, the second section is actually going to be a little bit more tongue in cheek. So your job is getting easier. And this is why a, uh, a recent report from Gallup, a survey came out, and the Gallup poll published this last Monday, which would have been Monday of Holy Week, indicates that religious membership in the U.S. has fallen to just 47% of those surveyed, representing less than half of the population. So your job is easier because there's fewer people that you're going <laughs> to serve, right? Yeah. My job is
1: easier because of COVID. Right. Because everybody's gone.
0: Right. So that that's a huge <laughs> tongue-in-cheek because actually in our parish boundary... Our mission field is what, Matt Rice?
1: Uh, every single soul in that boundary. Every single soul. Regardless of their Catholic or not.
0: Yeah. So even if they're not registered for your programs, registered at your parish, we are called to serve them, to share the gospel to them. So yeah. actually, our job didn't get any easier. Um, it got harder. And arguably, like, honestly, it got harder. Arguably, it got harder because there's more in disengagement. And that disengagement yeah. is a harder piece to overcome. However,
1: yeah, it got harder because you got to go and find more people. Rather than like, so let's let's say you have 100 people at your parish. You don't have to go and find those 100. You've got to go find the 9,900 others. Um, But now that you have 50 at your parish, now you have to go and find 9,950. So
0: we, uh, in in the two youth ministry programs that I've directed throughout my, my career, we grew one from about 20 to 30 teens all the way up to about 120 teens. And by the time I left... Of those 120 teens, when we were doing prayer services or praise and worship or something like that, about 60 of the teens, right? About half, about 60 of the teens were like bought into praise and worship and they were participating, which means about half of them were just kind of standing there and kind of counting down the words to the song until it ended uh, which is fine the prayer opportunities and experiences don't have to be fully engaged to be impactful yada 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 then moved to the 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 parish I was just recently at and we grew the program from about 280-250 teens somewhere in that range all the way up to about at one point 420 teens and at at that time at our kind of peak about 60 of the teens were bought into praise and worship when we were doing that prayer experience wow now Of those two experiences, which one was actually easier for me to get the whole room fired up about the next worship song or something like that?
1: Oh, the first one, when you had half of the people involved.
0: So what I want to say is... Like that, that was way easier. What I want to say is we are now in a unique position with this information just coming out that this is the first time in more than 80 years of their surveying when they started 80 years ago, that it has fallen below the 50% threshold of people mm-hmm. that indicate religious membership, right? This is the first yep. time it happened, but we're in a unique situation because, uh, I don't believe that that, that number has fallen on the side of people that are bought all the way in. I still think we have 60 people bought all the way in to follow that kind of analogy, which means now we can mobilize our base in a more effective way. And if we're willing to do that, if we dare to make them uh, kind of beacons as opposed to just candles to make them something that's like missional, like I'm not just going to light your candle, light your fire, but I want you to be a fire starter, right? To set the world ablaze.
1: Hey, No. Yeah. And and that's one of the the things that we've talked about before is like, is it better to have, you know, like uh, all the, all the people that don't want to be there, there, or is it better like just to have numbers or is it better to have quality, you know, in a way instead of quantity. And this isn't necessarily, I mean, we're talking about people here, you know, so it's, it's a little different, but, but yeah, when you have the quality of people there, the ones who get it there, you can take them further um, and expect more of them than when you have just a whole bunch of people there.
0: Yeah. And I don't believe that we're doing that. And the stats point to that reality. In 2018, 50% of those polled said they belonged to a religious congregation. So that's pretty similar to the 47% that have said it now. But in 1999, just 20 years ago, 70% of them said that they were a part of a religious congregation. And so we have seen what I would argue to be a massive decline. And I don't know if this survey was taken, you know, um, April of last year when everyone's like, COVID, I'm out. Are you part of a religious congregation? I'm not a part of anything that has people in it. Thank you very much. And please don't call again, you know? (laughs) And so I'm not exactly sure about that reality. But what I do know is that over the last 20 years to see that type of a drop is catastrophic to our approaches, and I think that mission is part of it. And I know we've talked about it. You guys can go back and listen to some of the From Christendom to Apostolic Mission episodes to hear us dive into that a little bit. But what I want to say is the silver lining here is that with smaller numbers or with smaller people that are showing up, I believe the concentration of people that are bought all the way in is actually higher. And if we can yeah. leverage that reality, I think we can see a boom that can take place in our parishes, and our programs, and in our communities because it's going to be a rare or a more unique effect when people are sharing the gospel in dynamic and radical ways.
1: And we may be entering into a phase um, just of the church where the people that aren't bought in aren't going to be there, period. Like that whole idea of being culturally... X, Y, or Z, you know, I'm, I'm a culturally Baptist or I'm culturally Catholic, whatever. Um, people aren't doing that so much anymore. Like they aren't going through the motions just for the sake of going through the motions.
0: Right. They're Instagram Catholic. Oh, I follow a Bible verse, uh, person on my, on my feet or whatever. And so they're able to still kind of keep their toe in the water, which used to be kind of the culturally Catholic type of piece without actually having to show up at the, uh, at, at the parish.
1: So I think that, like, like if that's true, like, regardless of if that idea that I just had is true, or, is or is true or not, the the fact is, like you said, the the likelihood that the people that have stayed are the bought in ones, actually should give ministry leaders permission to be more bold, because a lot of times we are, I don't know, I don't want to say we we water things down so that we don't push people away.
0: I think teaching to the lowest common denominator is problematic. And it it is, it's, it's, and, and this is why I want to encourage people to have different tiers of programming. There needs to be an on-ramp, right? And it can't just be the deep end, but if all you has, has, all you have is an on-ramp and there is no deep end, then, then we're doing a massive disservice as well.
1: Well, yeah. Or if you just have like, I mean, I would say nobody has an on-ramp, they have a big step. And then within that step, there's no, like no progression, no, nothing that goes further. So, but like, I think that gives that, that should be able to give ministry leaders permission to be more challenging of those that they're reaching or that, that are there because they're bought in, they want to be there, push them harder and challenge them more, teach them more, teach, give them uh, just more meat rather than just the appetizers, you know?
0: And and then uh, to, to break down some of the, some of the decades or generational gaps in that. Um, It was 58% of baby boomers, 50% of Gen X, which is what you and I are a part of, 36% of millennials said they belong to a church. And then it's limited on Gen Z, but if you trend down, I would say it's probably like 25 to 30% somewhere in that range, which means we have some unicorns. (laughs) And what I mean by a unicorn is like the super rare thing. When I go to a, a daily mass or a Sunday mass and I see a male in their 20s sitting by themselves, I approach them after Mass and thank them for coming to Mass because that's a rare reality. So now, if you have a millennial that's showing up to your program, your event, or your parish, they already know what it means to experience persecution for their faith because their peer group is already slated against them two to one. For everyone that's going to church, there's two that don't. And they're friends, they're co with these people. They're probably giving them weird looks when they show up with ashes on their forehead on Ash Wednesday or something like that. And so they've already kind of tasted some of the persecution, even if it's just mild social persecution that comes along with being a Catholic in this this day and age. And so use that. They're not afraid. We've got some fearless people showing up, especially in that millennial category that we can set on fire because they're already not afraid to, uh, to experience a little bit of persecution and martyrdom along the way.
1: And to be honest, if they're, if they're not challenged or pushed, that may be the reason they leave rather than it being too easy.
0: Yeah, because we were created for greatness, and if we're not treated as such, then we walk.
1: Yeah, and we look for something else that's going to challenge us. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, and and we saw that when you took me to CrossFit the other day. (laughs) <laughs> that was fun. I can lift my arms again. it hurts so Yay. bad. It was so good. So CrossFit is basically this uh, exercise cult that Matt's a part of and uh, <laughs> but but in all in all honesty though, when I arrived, they introduced me as a new person. Hey, this is Chris's first day. Everyone applauded. they clapped for me. and then the leader, said, uh, I think it was coach Kyle. He said, don't mm-hmm. worry, I'll make sure you get through it and you do it successfully. I'm here to help you. So he basically said, I'm going to accompany you. Someone from the other side of the room said that was me last week. Literally yeah. gave me the thing of like, I'm a week ahead of you, man. Like it, we're all in it together. I had people, uh, along the way say, Hey, good job. Or I'm glad to have you here and things like that. And I was like, the church needs this. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like to be able to come into a CrossFit community and like the very first day, all of that happened within, I mean, that was a, 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 like a 45 minutes we were there, maybe an hour. Yep. And yeah, for all of that to happen that church should be doing, it's, uh, it's sad, you know, for, for something like that to be just so normal in the culture of a workout like place versus
0: yeah anyway but but he was intentional too when when after we did this long kind of set of um, exercise i think it was called um this is what hell feels like and we just did every 20 seconds it was horrible and it was wonderful at the same time because i felt really alive but then we took this break and he goes go walk a loop he and and he said this he goes but walk next to someone and, and talk with them And that was it. And then everyone just paired up with someone and chatted with them along this little uh, warm down type of routine. But that was all he had to say. He wasn't like, and discuss the implications of health on your long term vision and goals. He was just like, just (laughs) just be people to each other while you walk this little loop after doing this amazing shared experience together. And make no mistake, that was an amazing shared experience because we were all pushing ourselves hard and it was intense. But what happens on the altar at mass is so much more amazing. Mm -hmm. And that is a shared experience that we get to kneel together and experience the Lord being made present together. Uh, We just need to figure out what it means to take a lap with one another to build that community.
1: Yeah. Well, and and, and like we're not asking for people to, I don't know, ask the visitor at the beginning of mass to stand up so everybody can say hi. Because I've been there. I've seen that done well. But most people, like whenever they go visit, they're like whenever someone says (laughs) well i mean i would say they don't stand up they're like i'm oh, i'm 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 a regular here yeah. i'm norm or whatever <laughs> but uh but yeah there's got to be a better way for us to to do that um in general
0: i was at a parish uh and they said that if it's your first time here please stand up so you can be recognized by the community and we had just had a baby and so it was whatever she was like 2 weeks old or whatever we had finally decided to take her to mass And if it's your first time here and I hold held that baby in the air like Simba in the Lion King and the whole parish, (laughs) the whole parish laughed and then erupted in applause. And there was something so cool about that moment. So I would say, don't be afraid to have that moment, even if it feels awkward, even if everyone doesn't stand up. I make sure when I see someone new to, to, to try and find them after mass and just welcome them and hear their story a little bit. It gives us permission to start a conversation or whatever. And you don't have to. Simba your spouse if it's like Chris said this was really cool and so I'm gonna lift up my mom's visiting from Milwaukee and so you lift her up I wouldn't do that but um but don't be afraid to allow that conversation and that hospitality to take place
1: now, this is uh, good, but it's also funny. Have you ever gone to a different mass um, at the church you go to and you've been members at for years and then someone says, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad or, or I'm so glad to see you back because we used to go to the 530 forever and then we started going to the 9 a.m. And then a couple of years later, we went to the 530 and one of the people that saw us, they're
0: like, oh, we're so glad you're back. And I was
1: like, I've been here the whole time. I just went to a different mass for a while, but I'm glad you're doing this. Keep doing this.
0: The Spanish mass is the one that sometimes Uh, surprises people they're like i didn't know you spoke spanish i'm like i can follow along a little bit you know but then it comes to the our father and i'm able to say the our father because i worked really hard to do it to connect with some of the the bilingual teens in our youth program and uh and i've even had someone turn around like surprise turn around like chris i'm for those who haven't met me i i get sunburned by opening the refrigerator like i'm very pale white (laughs) dude cold water
1: burns his skin it
0: does (laughs) so anyways Um, but that, that was a neat experience to be able to be noticed because I went to a different liturgy and that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so here's, here's part three of your job is easier. One thing that I think we talked about at this, uh, offsite that we just had for the ablaze leadership team, we talked a lot about accountability Mm. and accountability actually sounds like it's difficult all around, but it makes our jobs easier. And so i wanted to lean into that uh for this last segment that we're a part of is accountability so matt how does accountability make your job easier
1: like someone holding me accountable if i if i know i'm not going to be held accountable for something i'm not going to do it Um, if it's something i'm not motivated to do um, i'm not going to do it and you learn that just like your kids will learn like what they can get away with from their parents if you don't hold your kids accountable they're going to get away with, or work to get away with, whatever they can get away with, whatever they don't want to do. But if you hold them accountable, they're going to do it. And so I like being held accountable because I'll actually do my job. I'll actually do what I'm supposed to do, and I'll like it helps me grow as a person. You know, as a ministry leader, um, because I'm doing things that I don't want to do, but I'm learning about myself and I'm learning about a new project or another way of doing things while I'm doing it.
0: Yeah. Good. And sometimes there's the soft, uh, a priest friend of mine always said, sometimes you got to drop the hammer, but when it's with volunteers, you got to drop the velvet hammer. So it doesn't feel mm. like a hammer. It feels soft and smooth, but you still are dropping the hammer. So sometimes there's more passive uh, accountability of like, Hey, we really need to do this. Let's remind our goals. And sometimes it's a little bit more harsh, like, Hey, this is going to be a write up, and we've got to put it in your file so we can create a record. If this continues, it's clear that you're not a good fit, you know? Um, And so a lot of times accountability feels like a bad word. Mm -hmm. But when I've been working on projects and there is no accountability, sometimes, especially from those that are above me, supervise me and and things of that nature, sometimes I wonder if they're even on the same page. If they're like, Chris, go do your thing. I actually don't really care. But if it keeps you busy and the parishioners are happy, go do your thing as long as I don't hear any complaints, then keep doing it that doesn't necessarily mean that it falls into the vision or the mission or that I have their support, but accountability, even though there can sometimes be some, uh, critical or crucial conversations, difficult conversations had in it, it shows my supervisor cares enough to be able to lean in and have conversations. Now that can be handled in the right way and the wrong way. And sometimes uh, micromanagement can be felt in, in different things. But, uh, but, but we, we talked about at our offsite, like there's a couple of pieces. There's reactive accountability when we notice that like an indicator light is on on the check engine light or something. And we're like, we have to address this. But there's also proactive accountability to have questions like, how is this project going? What do you need for me to be successful? And those would be kind of just like check-ins. And at Ablaze, we, everyone has a mentor uh, that they check in with on uh, at least twice a month, some people every week. Um, and that is a part of the culture of accountability that kind of gets built into it. I also know ministry leaders who have met with their pastor twice in their 10 years at the parish. And, uh, and if their pastor and, and their, their pastor is their supervisor. And I think that's a dangerous reality because your job isn't easier by that lack of clarity and the accountability mm-hmm. would actually be welcome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the, like accountability, like, I don't know, there, there are things that we should be doing and this may be the same thing I said earlier, but things that we should be doing that that aren't important to us yet. And so the, a lot of the the things I like about Exodus 90 is there are things that we are doing in Exodus 90 that are good for me, that are good for my soul. And if I didn't have a group of men that I was accountable to, to to have these done and get these done, I wouldn't be doing them either because I didn't see them as important yet or I didn't see them as necessary and the the growth that i'm going through wouldn't it wouldn't be happening you know without that and so it doesn't mean that i that i don't know it's important it's just it hasn't be, it become important to me yet or become a part of my life and sometimes we need that accountability to put things like that into our life and have them be a part of our, of, our, of our routine so that we actually do these good things
0: yeah yeah there's a there's a beauty in accountability in regards to it reminds us why certain things fit into the bigger mission mm-hmm. and i think about um no one likes Well, let me say this there's a lot of people that are ministry spirited that struggle with some of the administrative aspects of ministry turning in receipts time cards i don't know different documentation and things of that nature um, and healthy accountability in that isn't saying you didn't turn in your receipts but you you didn't turn in your receipts and that affects our relationship with the parish or that reflects people's trust relationship with your ministry. And so we want to be able to do that so we can continue to have a 360 degree buy-in from all the different par- partners that we collaborate with here in the parish. Oh, all of a sudden you're putting the accountability in a framing of the overall mission or purpose of what we're doing. And that helps sometimes when I've been held accountable to certain things and it hasn't been put in that light. Sometimes I feel like, oh, they're just cracking the whip on me and oh, I'm in Egypt, you know, or whatever. But really there's freedom in accountability because then you know that certain things are taken care of and that gives you permission to function and lead in a greater way. So how, how do we hold people accountable, Matt? What are some ways that we can, we can do that? I mean,
1: like obviously like regular check-ins, you know, like the, the first step is to actually know whether or not the person has or hasn't done something that they were expected to do. But that like take that a step even further back. Like what were they expected to do? And do they know that they were expected to do, to do that? because if if they weren't if they weren't aware that they were expected to save the receipt so that they can then submit it to the the office, then you can't like you can't hold me accountable for that. Exactly. Like you're accountable for not having told me that. <laughs> right. Right. You know? Um, and so we have to be very clear with regards to what, our, what what we need to hold people accountable for. Or even like if, if I choose that I, I, I want to be held accountable for having a daily prayer life, I call Chris or I call someone and I say, hey, I need someone to hold me accountable to this. This is what I want to do. I want to have a daily prayer life of X, X number of minutes a day or whatever. And I need you to hold me accountable for that. So that expectation is clear. But then that person actually has to call and say, "Hey, did you pray?" Um, and then that like that's one aspect of the accountability is like I have to actually answer that truthful, truthfully. And so that's a, p- a component of the accountability. Well, in that relationship, it's like if I didn't do it, what are you going to do? You know, and if I don't answer your call, what are you going to do? That's on me, you know, to like to maintain that relationship and, and have integrity around that.
0: Well, there's, there's authority in every relationship. And if you were saying, Hey, hold me accountable with prayer. We have relational authority because of the friendship that we forged over the last 20 years, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think that that, that's an important piece in other relationships. It might be a supervisor authority. It might be that you're a volunteer for my program and I'm the one that ultimately is left holding the bag for anything that does or does not happen. And so um, I have accountability to the pastor and the pastor expects me to hold the volunteers accountable, you know, and so there is some sort of an authority, but the clarity on expectations from the onset is so important and it needs to be done according to mission, right? The overall vision and mission that's taken place because otherwise I've heard people say, when I've sought to hold people accountable, well, that's not what I signed up for or that's not in my job description. And that is so cringe, that is so cringe worthy when someone says that because um, the why I think is the piece that needs to be held into that. So if you say, hey, Chris, I wanna do 20 minutes of prayer a day and I I don't ask why, I mean, your why could be a bad why, and I could be like, Matt, I'm not going to hold you accountable so you do 20 minutes per day because you're in a competition with someone mm-hmm. on Instagram to try and beat their 15 minutes a day. That's not a deep enough why for me to hold you accountable for that. Yep. But if you're like, I'm I'm struggling in this area, and I want to be a better husband and father, I'm like, yep, I'm on board with that because I desire that for you as well. Yep. And so the why, and then the clear objective and the key results. The key results are the why. Like, what what are the results? I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, on the other side of that, like the boss-employee kind of relationship, or whatever manager-employee um, direct report re- relationship, I don't know. Sometimes I get real annoyed when um, people ask me why all the time, or need a motivated reason, motiv- motivating reason to do what I ask them to do, and it's like, just do it. <laughs> like, why? And it's not just because I told you so. It's because, like, having to spell out the vision. Every single time for every little thing is, it's a waste of time, you know, in one sense, you know,
0: it feels like the threshold of trust has not yet been built. Absolutely. And, and and so we're not saying don't ask why, because I, I, I literally had that conversation with a supervisor in the past. I said, I'm not sure why I'm doing this. And in the past it's caused tension when I didn't have complete clarity moving forward.
1: Small example. This is, this is not the same kind of thing, but it was kind of funny. This week we had a coffee pot, and there was two plugs behind the coffee pot. There was a air freshener plugged in the plug on the top, and the coffee pot was plugged in the one on the bottom. We needed to grind coffee to, like, make the coffee, but we were setting the coffee using the clock on the on the coffee pot to uh, to to go off at an earlier time, right? So the I, I we walked into this VRBO, I set the coffee pot. and we had coffee the next morning. Well, the next night, we were going to set the pot and someone unplugged the coffee pot instead of the air freshener (laughs) and plugged in the grinder to grind it. And then I was like, oh, like, why do you do that? I have to reset the coffee pot. Don't do that. So the next day, the exact same thing happened again. And it wasn't until they realized, oh, wait, you're setting the clock so that we can use the timer the next day I was like yes but like it couldn't it just have been like Matt asked me not to unplug this couldn't that be sufficient (laughs) but then once they realized what it was sorry this may not have anything to do with what you're talking about but it's a great example you know because it was like I like but they didn't have buy-in
0: they didn't have buy-in um because of just you asking alone yeah and and, trust me man I know what I'm doing (laughs) I know but in all fairness we all have some (laughs) unique things it's like I I always want schedules printed on blue paper and that's a weird criticism, right? And uh, I have it, never
1: heard that before. That is totally new.
0: Yeah. So when I was in youth ministry, we called it the blue sheet. That way, the volunteers and the team and everyone just knew that that blue piece of paper, because there's all sorts of handouts and flyers and all sorts of paper going around. They knew the blue sheet was the schedule. It was just a weird thing that helped our system run.
1: Yeah, an organizational thing that has become a tick.
0: But when I yeah, when I <laughs> delegated when I delegated someone go print out the schedules and they came back with uh, white paper or one time they did uh, purple paper everyone was like looked at me and i was like it's okay they're new but in the future <laughs> this and they asked why and i said because it's a it's a pattern and we call it the blue sheet typically we say grab your blue sheet and then move on and if we don't have a blue sheet it confuses people so anyways long story short the explanation behind it matters but at the same time sometimes it's like that's just weird the schedule just needs to be printed on paper and they're right the clock could be reset, yes, but it's inconvenient. So the why is so important, that clarity. And then the last piece, because we're, we're out of time, um, is I think that we need to be willing to have some of the hard conversations on both ends of accountability. On the end, if you are being held accountable to something, to ask for that clarity, to ask for that why when it's needed, right, um, or to be asked to be held accountable. And so I, I have a friend that just posted on Facebook that their boss asked him to do a task that would take him over 100 hours, and they gave him one week to do it. That's just not, that's not possible. He's like, it's simply not possible. And he's been in his field for over 25 years. Like he knows whether or not this is possible. Accountability might be being able to have that relationship with the boss to say, if you need this done by the end of next week, then I need some extra help. What resources do we have available to be able to do that? And so you're almost holding yourself accountable to to get the resources from someone whose job, like your supervisor, Mm -hmm. their job is to help you be successful. And if you are a supervisor or you're leading volunteers or leading a team, you should see your job to help them be successful. So if they are successful, that is you doing your job well. If they fail, that's because you failed. And so that's kind of that extreme ownership mentality of like, I should have done better to equip and empower the team to be successful and then do so. And sometimes that requires having hard or near impossible conversations. It seems that your behavior has indicated that you're not right for this team right now. Why don't you take two Sundays off and come back to volunteer for the program again after we meet in a week? Like, I just need things to calm down. It seems like there's some other stuff that has come into this situation. And I've had to do that when some volunteers got crossways towards each other. And it was clear that they were there to like, to eyeball the other volunteer and kind of, there was this weird competition territorialism that's going on. I'm like, we're here for the youth. We're here for the people we serve. And so that was a hard conversation because it was asking a volunteer free service to yeah. step away from ministry for a short amount of time for a time of discernment and i had i had a conversation with someone before That we, uh, their, their little brother was in our youth program and their house, they were 20 years old. Their house was filled with empty Jack Daniel bottles. Mm. Like just, just, you know, the college kids, how they decorate their, their, their dorms and their house and stuff like that. And I was like, I want you to, I want you to choose between underage drinking or serving in ministry. I said, I know your birthday is coming up in April, so you can take as much time as you'd like to discern. I said, even if it takes you until after April to discern that. And he actually said, "I think I'm going to discern until after April," and he stepped away from the ministry until he turned 21. And so it was a hard conversation, and I knew that the result could be because he was dynamic, magnetic, um, mm. much like AJ. Uh, just for someone on the team, like just a real fun personality. And uh, and we had to we had to have him step away because of the example that he was given, and that was a hard conversation. But it was a good conversation. It needed to be had. So um, okay.
1: Yeah, so sometimes in accountability, you have to sacrifice, you know, in order to hold the people accountable.
0: Yeah. Because of the deeper why, because of the mission and the vision that's going on. So, um, yeah. Okay. You guys. So yes, your, your job is getting easier. Why? Well, because the demographic is getting more concentrated Right. So now you have more people that are bought in because the people that were only halfway bought in are leaving in droves, which means those that are there, we can mobilize. And second is how we mobilize them. One of the greatest tools that we can do to make our job easier is to utilize accountability in the way that we mobilize people or in the way that we fall in under the mission that we serve in. So don't be afraid to ask for accountability from those who supervise you.
1: Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being with us today. Continue this, continue this conversation online. Please. Please, Oh my gosh.
0: Matt, Matt, I got this. You ready? Just throw me the ball. Catch. Please send any feedback you have to mla at ablaze.us. Leave us a review and share this podcast with someone, maybe even your supervisor. Bum, bum, bum.
1: Here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, you go
0: alone. And if you want to go far, we go together.
1: So take some time this week to pray for ministry leaders and do what else?
0: And pray for their accountability. (laughs) There you go. And we will see you next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless.
1: Probably our worst outro ever.
0: We got on the wrong cadence. I'm usually the first one to go and then you and then, yeah, anyways, we did good. I'll hold you accountable to it next time. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Peace.